in the power of Christ, we stand. Uh, till he returns or calls us home, that that is uh, the promise we are anchoring our lives in, and we pray for uh, future lives and little lives to anchor their life in. Eliana is joining us for the first time, Cody and Mackenzie's beautiful little daughter, pretty special. Welcome, welcome to that little life. And, and around here, when babies cry, we actually think that's a beautiful thing, uh, it's a beautiful sign of life. And so Luke has been calling us to this idea uh, till he returns or calls us home. Here in the power of Christ we stand. We want more of that in our life. And Luke begins his gospel with that reality in mind. He says, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were I." witnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. Luke wasn't there firsthand, and so he heard from eyewitnesses and began compiling them. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, O most excellent Theophilus, so that you might have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught, that you can increase in this certainty in who Jesus is. And he's been compiling a list of those witnesses eyewitnesses to tell this birth narrative of where he begins. Do you guys remember the first witness that he pointed us to? And this is the beautiful thing we love about Hillcrest is audience participation around here. <laughs> Who's the first witness that, that Luke chooses to highlight? Yeah, yeah, Gabriel tells Zechariah, your prayers have been answered. And you'll have a son, and this will be the forerunner. And Gabriel declares that reality to Zechariah. Gabriel then declares that reality to Mary. You're going to have a son. His name will be Jesus. Yahweh saves. And then Mary goes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth validates. John leaps in her womb uh, and, and declares these powerful realities to Mary over a period of time. That leads Mary then to proclaim the Magnificat of what God has done for her. And then Zechariah is no longer mute and shares with his family, his name is John. And then the angels share with the shepherds, their witness, and the shepherds hear that, not just from an angel, but then a host of angels declare with the shepherds uh, this powerful reality, and the shepherds go in haste and want to share what they've experienced with Mary. And, uh, and so we've been asking the past few weeks to pray as a reflection of Luke 1, 4, to increase our certainty. God, what are you inviting me into today? And some of us are praying at 104. Others are praying because we don't like to be put in boxes and we're praying at other times outside of that period of time. But praying, God, what are you inviting me into today? Uh, maybe you found, how long does God take in sometimes answering that prayer? Sometimes there's an extended period of waiting as we, as we desperately and dependently seek God to answer, God, what are you inviting me into today? And sometimes there's a waiting period. And waiting gets a bad rap in our culture. Uh, waiting is often seen as passive. If you put in a, uh, a college application or you put in a job application, and then you wait on what? Pins and needles till that thing is returned. Uh, maybe you put in uh, a job application and, and there's this anxiety that bubbles up. 
Or you, you go to the doctor and you receive a diagnosis and, or a, an assessment and you wait for that diagnosis to be returned. And, and that waiting often feels very long and uncomfortable. Uh, and I, I just got a, a reality check of our culture and our ability to wait growing up in a, in a streaming world. Uh, Casey's out of town, so I took my kids for an overnight to a hotel and had a pool and free breakfast. And uh, I told my kids, what they mean by free is they've wrapped the cost into the cost of the hotel, is what they mean by free. And so while we're there, we're watching cable. <laughs> And in a few episodes or a few uh, blocks of time, there's a show that my kids want to watch. And they're like, we want to watch that one. I'm like, well, let me explain to you how cable works and that idea of waiting. <laughs> and waiting not always being the most comfortable process. What we're going to learn today as Luke invites us in, he's going to share two more witnesses that are waiting in anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. And I love what Luke includes about these two people. What does he say about these two people? They're old. I mean, that's not me talking. That's the Bible. I'm just quoting the Bible on this one. He says they're old. And I love that he includes that detail because it is what I hope we embody around here is a multi-generational community. I think there's things that we can learn from those who have been further on in their spiritual journey and those that are growing and still on younger in this spiritual journey. It is the beautiful thing. And Luke tips his hand and says, these are two old saints that have been waiting a very long time. And, and, and God's not done, right? There's the conviction. No matter what age you are, God is still at work in your life. And so Luke gives us a window into these two witnesses about this idea of waiting. So let's turn to Luke 2, 22 to 24, because I don't know what currently you might be waiting for in this life. <laughs> but here's what Luke challenges us with for increased certainty. And the time came for the purification according to the law. <laughs> Excuse me purification of the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. It's not quite water, but man, coffee is so good. Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. I can die a happy man according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and to the glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what they said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own heart and soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And then there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phenuel and the tribe of Asher. Oh, thanks, Fred. Fred is too good to us. 
There you go. Thanks, Grace. She, would, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then get the time on this. Just, just do a quick timeline in your head. Seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer day and night, night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned in the Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon them. Here's where we're headed for this morning as we hear from these two witnesses. Luke provides us with several witnesses who authenticate the uniqueness of Jesus by testifying to the exceptionality of his arrival. Two more witnesses telling us about the exceptionality of who this Jesus guy is. And yet, there's a divided response to the salvation he brings. And there's joy in the waiting. <laughs> so as we dig in, I don't know what might be top of mind for you in the waiting. And yet, I think there's a longing for Luke to increase our certainty wherever we find ourselves more in the power of Christ we stand. So pray with me and we will, we will dig into the text together. Oh, God, you are so good. Thank you for who you are, your work in our life. You are good, Father, all the time. You are good. Help us see that increasingly. Help us feel the weight of that reality as we take another look at witnesses pointing to the authenticity of who you are. Thank you, Jesus, always for your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. So we often do a map of the day, just where we're headed. And, uh, and it never gets old. <laughs> Jesus is so special. And those that see Jesus as special walk with God and experience a life well spent. So here's where Luke is going to take us. Jesus is special. And, and he begins introducing us to these characters, to Simon and Anna. So how do we meet Simon and Anna? What, what is the occasion for meeting Simon and Anna, Simeon, Simeon and Anna? What's the occasion? Temple purification. Temple purification. Why, Jeff? It was commanded. And so well, what does that tell you? Did Jesus somehow just waddle in there on his own? How do we meet Simeon and Anna? Come on, don't miss this stuff. Yeah. Mary and Joseph in faith obeyed God. Mary and Joseph, in faith, obeyed God. Now, what does Luke tell us? This is what he tells us. According to the purification of the law of Moses, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And the law of the Lord is what brought them in. A pair of turtle doves, two young pigeons. And then according to the custom of the law. So, so this authenticates more of who this guy is, and in faith, they obeyed the law. I mean, there was a reflection of obedience, not because it was supposed to be done, but rather in a reflection of their faith. We see this in Leviticus. Leviticus 12, 1 to 8, here is where the call to these practices comes from. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean for seven days. 
As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Why? To get rid of that uncleanliness. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean for two weeks as in her menstruation. And she shall continue in the blood of her purifying, purifying for 66 days. And then what happens? And when the days of her purifying are complete, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old, for a burnt offering, or as we'll see later, a pigeon or turtle doves for a sin offering, more for those that are middle class or poor, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. And then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. That is the law for, for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves, two pigeons, one for the burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her and she shall be clean. This recognition that Jesus is the awaited Jewish Messiah because even in the obedience to the law, this guy is a Jew at the very essence of a understanding of their purification process. And then in Exodus, we see that call. Lord said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever is the first to open the wound among the people of Israel, both of man and of beast, is mine. What did they do? Obedience flows from faith. Sometimes it feels like in Western evangelical culture, we have this encouragement towards behavior modification. But even in Luke, he's calling us not to say doing the law for the sake of the law, but rather Mary and Joseph reflecting their faith in the very essence of this practice they are participating in. And that Jesus, we see, is the fulfillment of these Old Testament prophecies in that he is a Jewish man. No one's going to look and say, well, he's not of us. No, he was raised and he was consecrated. He went through the process, became clean, right? And yet we believe sinless man lived a sinless life unlike any other. But at the very core, you can see purified according to the law. Jesus is the fulfillment of these Old Testament promises and is able to accomplish then because he's born a man, circumcised as a Jew, and, and lives this human life sinless. And then Jesus, we see Simeon declares the source of a joy-filled life. And, uh, and I love, so how do we see Simeon? He's filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we juxtapose law and spirit. Simeon is filled with the Spirit in the arrival of this baby. Kind of like jumbo shrimp or military intelligence, we sometimes feel like law and spirit can't coexist. We either follow the law, just follow the law, do the thing, or there's this freedom of life in the spirit. Luke doesn't make that distinction in his mind. Law and spirit coexist beautifully. And then here's Simeon's words. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. I can die a happy man. Why? Because I've seen the fulfillment of what I've been waiting for, what I've been longing for. I can die a happy man. There is this joy in Jesus the law and spirit, not dutiful obligation, but rather the fulfillment of life in the spirit. There is more joy in Jesus. Romans 15, 13 gives us a small glimpse. Feels like I look around and people are filled with anxiousness, worry, fear, and yet Paul says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Not abound in worry, anxiousness, and fear, but the Spirit filling our life. There is more joy in Jesus. And then this beautiful initiation of the kingdom 
in Luke 16, 16. Here's what he says. He says, now the time after John, what happens? After John, the law and prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Here's how Simeon begins to predict that. He says, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Four, four times that particular use of salvation is used. Luke uses it twice. Four times in the New Testament, Luke uses it twice to show us the arrival of this salvation in Jesus. Those Old Testament practices all pointed to all that blood. If you go through, if you ever want to just read a lot about blood and sacrifice, read Leviticus, and it gives you a very clear sense of all the effort that needed to take place in order to purify sins. Now we look ahead. Salvation has come. No longer those practices are needed to reconcile before God. Instead, we get to go straight to Jesus. The salvation has come. And yet, the salvation is going to be divisive. <laughs> Here's what he says. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. What do you mean we don't have to do these sacrifices anymore? <laughs> That's how I earned my standing before God. I did these behaviors. I followed the law. What do you mean we don't have to do these practices anymore? <laughs> the falling and rising of many that are opposed because self-righteousness still creeps into our hearts. And I love, if we ever get to Romans, I love what Paul says about what was taking place because we could look and say, God, were you not faithful to your people? And Paul tries to help us understand what God is up to. What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand? Skip to verse 25. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. In the very place where it is said, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cried out concerning Israel, though the number of sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved until later, maybe sometime when we get to Revelation. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left his offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Here's the beauty of what he's saying. Oh, man. We actually get invited and enveloped into this beautiful salvation story that God has been working out. It wasn't an addendum that came later, and yet God always had this plan to invite the nations into what he was doing with his people in Israel. Simeon declares that reality. He says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory to your people Israel. Jesus is for everyone. There is the reality that Simeon is declaring and that he has been waiting for and that arrival has come. And, and, and here's the challenge. Because <laughs> we probably have heard many of those ideas before. Maybe for some of us, those are new. That that salvation is now for us. <laughs> And through faith in Christ, we ask God to sit on the throne of our hearts and we live and, and, and have being in him. Uh, I need a volunteer. Nate, could you come on up here? Is that all right? Sometimes we ask for volunteers. Other times it's voluntold, one of the two. So Nate, could you come on up here? And, and uh, Nate, you're going to be Jesus for this illustration. Is that okay? Sure. 
I saw your son giggle just a little bit at that thought, just a little bit. <laughs> and so here's what it feels like we do. Because we understand there was a point, would you sit on, and we often talk about this stool as the throne of our hearts. And I remember hearing this illustration from a guy named Albert Tate. I found it fascinating. We often have Jesus sit on the throne of our hearts, and by faith, and faith alone, room for one, he sits on the throne of our hearts, and we rest in him. And we are so thankful for, for the opportunity to sit and be in his presence as he leads and directs and guides us. And then on this journey of faith, here's, here's what seems to happen is we ask Jesus, we are so thankful for you, Jesus. We just appreciate you a ton. I am so thankful for the work you're doing in my life. Can you just throw your hand around me real quick? Yeah, I just, I just appreciate the work you're doing in my life. And, and, and the job that you've given me, I am so thankful for that job. It's a wonderful job you're providing for me. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I'm just so thankful for you. And, and then we possibly get the news that there's a, a major layoff going on in our job. And, and this tentativity starts to well up in our hearts that I could be one of those people. J Jesus, just there's a layoff coming. What, what, what's going to happen? I need you in my life, Jesus. We, there's a layoff and there's a possibility I might get fired and I need you. I need you to, and I just lost my job. What, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How, how would you let that happen? Oh, there's another opportunity coming? And, and I, might, I might be the fit? And, and, I, and I got the job, Jesus? And... And it actually has better benefits than the one I had before. You mean I'm actually going to be able to provide more? Thank you, Jesus. Man, I really appreciate just what you do. You are so good to us. Thank you for the work you do. I, I just love you. are so kind, so gracious. And wait, I, I just got to the doctor and there's a, a diagnosis that doesn't look as favorable. Jesus, Jesus, I knew you got me those benefits, but I didn't want to use them this soon. What, I mean, if you could just take care of that, I, I don't know what we're going to do for this. I mean, I just, there's this, the, the diagnosis could, oh, it's benign. Oh, Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Oh, I really appreciate what you do for us, Jesus. Uh, you know, and, and there's a desire that I have for this relationship, Jesus. You know, and there's a girl right over there you know, could you, in fact, you know what? Yeah, let me just pick her out one more time so you know. That girl over there, that's the one. Could you bring her into my life? And, oh, what a beautiful thing. I love, I love this. Oh, Jesus, you're so kind and so good to me. And man, we're about to get married. Oh, I am, what a beautiful thing. This thing called marriage you did. Yeah, I love it. You know what? Oh, I, this woman you brought is crazy, Jesus. Can you get, what, what were you thinking bringing her into my life? That was a terrible idea. Why did you do it? I need you to help me. And, and we start going through this process where there's room for one on the throne of our life. We look around and, man, I, I don't know if you know this, Jesus, but <laughs> there's a midterm coming up. And, and I'm, I'm really excited. I mean, I need you to need you to show up and the candidate that I'd really like. You know, it's getting a little tentative, Jesus. I might need to step in and figure out what, how, how can I actually bring, bring what I, oh, the person I wanted got elected. Can you just, I am so thankful, Jesus. You are so kind to me. Here's what tends to happen. <laughs> you might look at that and go, man, that's sacrilegious. I would never kick Jesus off the throne of my heart. But what it feels like we often do, I'm going to sit right there, is we just try and, instead of waiting on him, sitting on the throne of our hearts, we, we often would love a lot more 
of this control in the process. Instead, what we see with Simeon and Anna is this incredible posture of waiting where they sit (laughs) and, and there's this deep trust, a heart posture trust of what God is doing in and around their lives in his timing. And they say, I just want to sit at your feet, Jesus. I want to rest in you. I want to rest and find comfort in your timing in the waiting increasingly. There's a pretty sweet place down here. Thanks, Jesus. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, give Nate a hand. <laughs> Jesus is so special. And those who see Jesus as special begin to walk with God and experience this life well spent. Here's what we see from Anna. She begins living out and modeling what this life and this posture looks like. And we don't get to hear much. We get a few verses. Here's what Luke tells us about this witness. Walking with God for as long as we can is the best way to live. Did you guys do a timeline of her life? And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin and then as a widow until she was 84. How many years is that? Getting married maybe at 15, 16 years old, widowed without any kids, seven years, so early 20s until 84. (laughs) 60 some odd years of waiting. And holding a baby, I imagine, bringing this joy and delight to her life. Feels like in our society, in our culture, those that are older, maybe widowed, don't necessarily get the press that would be a demonstration of success of faith and life. It's what I love about our multi-generational community, watching those who have gone before us, who continue to demonstrate this gift of faith. Sometimes, though, those those that are older start to get bitter, start to get encrusted. Instead, we see Anna continuing to model this life of faith. And she sees that trusting his timing is better spent than ours. Here's how we see that in her life. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying day and night. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Active waiting. Passive gets a, waiting gets this passive bad rap. Instead, we see Anna desperately and dependently clinging to the promises of God that God is going to show up and redeem his people. <laughs> She's sitting with a heart posture towards alleviating anxiety, alleviating worry, and trusting. And then when that baby arrives, she leaps and goes and began to give thanks to God to see his reliable but not often predictable answer. And she waited a long time. And yet, what I love, walking with God inevitably gets shared and encourages others. I love what she does with this news. She was waiting for the redemption of Israel. And when it came, she didn't necessarily know how it was all going to work out, right? 
We pray, we watch, we look for God's fingerprints, not always sure of exactly how it's going to turn out and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Israel. This baby was the promised Messiah, though she wasn't fully aware of exactly how that was going to take place. Do we cling to the reliability of God's promises in the waiting, though not often clear or sure of exactly the predictability of how God's going to work? What does it look like in our Monday to Saturday to live increasingly with this posture that we see in Simeon and Anna? Because we have certainty. We're not waiting for his first coming, right? We would say we're waiting for his second coming. Those that walk with God live with this anticipation, this joyful, peaceful, secure anticipation clinging to his promise, much like they did for his first, we wait for the return of Jesus. And that actually produces what? Man, I think there is more joy in Jesus in the waiting. There is more joy to be had in trusting and clinging desperately to these promises that God has not forgotten his people. He wants to dwell with his people. So the question for me, because passive waiting, I don't think is what's being demonstrated. It is active waiting. How do our daily habits prove or disprove our dependence on Jesus? How do our daily habits and practices prove or disprove our waiting on Jesus? Does my mind get flooded with anxious thoughts? Do, do I try and step in and control the situation? Do I long to sit on the throne and help navigate? Jesus, let me help you. You sit here next to me while I drive this thing. Or do my habits prove or disprove a different reality? Ah, if you're anything like me, I look around our culture and there is a level of angst and frustration that often will build in my heart when I see different things fly around my newsfeed, around our culture. And then often when I look in my own heart, <laughs> I see my inability often to see the change I'd like to see as quickly in my own life. And, and, and it's in those moments when I'm filled with that level of frustration, my mind starts to just run down these rabbit holes and, and, and there is no longer an active waiting on the Lord. Instead, my mind runs to all the different ways that I can affect some type of change. Instead, what would it increasingly look like to wait on the Lord, active waiting, to pray with desperate dependence for the God that changes hearts, <laughs> and to be active, watching for the work all around us. In my vocation, maybe there's some challenges I'm facing that I'm unsure of how it's going to work out. What it might look to actively wait and stand for Christ in the midst of that has some implications. What it looks like to engage my family, maybe someone who's estranged or has some challenging relational tensions, 
It could be uncomfortable waiting and, and engaging because I, ugh, God, I'd rather just not. <laughs> but I want to wait and trust that you are actually involved in the circumstance. Maybe there's a financial hardship right now that, that I just am uncertain of how it's going to work out. It feels insurmountable to me. And yet even in that is their active waiting. I hope we at Hillcrest embody to a culture that is desperately trying to solve their lives and constantly running into roadblocks. There is a rest that followers of Christ embody in the midst of our circumstances. While the world is worried and anxious, do we rest in his provision in our day to day? Pray with me. God, you are so good. You are good all the time, all the time. You are good. Help us cling to that reality more. Help us embody daily practices that demonstrate an increasing trust and reliance in waiting on your timing. Much like Anna, much like Simeon, it did not come necessarily in the way they fully expected or anticipated or in the timing they had hoped. And yet they waited and trusted in you. Nonetheless, may our lives embody that a little bit more fully this week. Thank you, Jesus. Always for your glory, we pray. Amen.